Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey there, welcome. <coughs> I'm, uh, I think I'm in a better mood than I was yesterday, and that wouldn't be hard, believe me. Uh, so I hope to be a little more upbeat, but the odds are <laughs> as, as uh, I begin opining on the, on the news of the day, it, it tends to darken my mood for some reason. I can't quite figure out what. Um, I was looking at the, you know, for, we currently as a country have no Secretary of Defense. I mean, we have supposedly an acting guy who just found out he was that yesterday. No Secretary of Defense, no Homeland Security Director. No Secret Service Director. No ICE Director. No Air Force Secretary. No FEMA Director. No UN Ambassador. I'm barely scratching the surface here. But the things that I have mentioned are all things to do with our national security. These are the heads of uh, agencies and cabinet level positions that are extremely important. And this at a time when we have this bellicosity toward Iran, Venezuela, all the way to Mexico. We're palsy walsying with North Korea and I I if you were if you were sort of owned by the Russians, which I am increasingly do think Donald Trump is. I mean, if you're the empty suit that was Donald Trump and still is, but now he's the president. And the Russians were known to be the ones propping up his failing business because no banks would lend to him, but the oligarchs, Putin pals, would. I mean, there's no way to really comprehend what has gone on <laughs> in this White House as it regards both the attempt to undercut our allies and give aid and succor to our enemies to not staff our agencies having to do with protecting this country, which is the number one job that uh, 
a president has. It's clear in his oath of office. I just increasingly think that because this is how the Russians operate, that clearly they've got they've they've pulled this off. We got a Manchurian president, a puppet. They give him enough slack so that he can every once in a while say, and I, we did sanctions on Russia, even though he has to be kicked and, you know, kicked and begged to do so. Increasing, I just don't think you can look at the reality of this administration and come up with any other plausible explanation of what often appears to be the almost traitorous behavior of the president, so much so that we we do know that uh, intelligence agencies are loath to tell him everything because they don't trust that he won't turn it over to our enemies. Um, how else do you read this? I So that's where I am because, you know, no secretary of defense. I guess no army secretary now because he's put the that guy in charge of acting as the secretary of defense. No head of homeland security when all of again the bellicosity about immigration and all of that stuff and he doesn't have anybody heading these agencies. ICE, Homeland Security, <laughs> Defense, FEMA. We have no voice at the United Nations. He now has no real communications staff. No press secretary, no, uh, no briefings, no... It's, it's something. And again, we've, you know, day by day gotten inured to it, but it is when you take a step back and look with sort of new eyes, again, if you can manage that, it's, it's startling and frightening and incomprehensible. But for this explanation, I'm increasingly believing. Anyway. Hang on here while I get to some of the stuff I want to talk about. I'm not sure. Oh, I wanna I, I, I wanna correct something from yesterday's show um that actually <laughs> kept me up last night. I I woke up in the middle of the night and started replaying part of yesterday's show. 
which is always a bad sign. I mean, strangely, when people ask me after a show if I bump into somebody and say, what'd you talk about on your show today? I often can't answer the question. It's like I do it and I leave it and go off into the rest of my life. But when things stick with me, it's usually not good that I'm troubled by, by something. And, and, and what I'm troubled by, and it's not a big deal, but it's something that clearly has freaked me out a little bit. It just has to do with a conversation that I had with Susan. Um, and I can't quite even remember how it came up. I guess I was talking about that issue of younger people now not owning things being quite comfortable with a more nomadic, less consumerist, uh, you pick up and go, you rent furniture, you rent appliances. Um, and, and she posited that, well, you know, they can't afford, <laughs> they can't afford the old American dream. You know, they got student debt, they got this, they got that. They're in the gig economy, scrambling to make ends meet. And I, yeah, I said, you know, I, I agreed that that was definitely a big part of it. But then she said something about homes costing, it was about the median price of a home in Chicago. That's what got what I got stuck on because she was saying it was nine. I think my memory is it was like 900 million, 900 million, $900,000. And I, I mean, I didn't have any facts to counter it. So, but I kept expressing incredulity about it because you can't have a city of millions of people where there are homes all over the place and different neighborhoods and and have a, I don't even think the median housing cost in like the most expensive cities like San Francisco or Seattle or Boston I don't think they're 900,000 um and and so I I actually I mean I I ended up googling I just, what is the median house price in Chicago, and um, it's according to Zillow, it is I think it was two hundred forty thousand is the median house price in Chicago, which makes the more sense to me and I, I not a big deal but for some reason it was bothering me and I think the reason it's bothering me is I still do um, because we live in such uh, an environment where uh, facts are whatever you want them to be um, I, I would like this hour to be as factual <laughs> as as possible and I, I know that I disseminate mis falsehoods never willing I mean I, I but I try to correct when something goes out that's not right and I'm that's all I'm doing so I can because it must have really um, it upset me I don't like uh, 
that kind of misinformation out there. It, it just didn't make sense. So um, you could buy a house in Chicago is all I'm saying. <laughs> Um, okay, no biggie, but I just, uh, and I, I told myself when I first saw this story that I wasn't going to talk about it, but it, boy, it has legs. It's hanging in there and it, that alone upsets me. This has to do with that, that racist little creep from Parkland who, um, who got disinvited from Harvard. Um, I'm assuming, you know, what I'm talking about, if not a quick synopsis, is this kid um, who went to Parkland uh, High School when it was shot up. He was not uh, not injured himself, and unlike his fellow students, um, he uh, became a voice of uh, Second Amendment rights. So where the Parkland students set off what I think was the most uh, successful attack on the NRA and this country's craziness regarding uh, guns. Um, this kid, his name is Kyle something, Kashuv, uh, distinguished himself by going the other way and as such became the darling of uh, Fox News and um, other and the NRA and and others. Um, he was accepted into Harvard and then some stuff that he had written when he was in high school uh, came out, as it does these days, because that stuff doesn't die when it's, when it's in the cloud somewhere. And I have not seen exactly what he wrote, because I, I don't want to, I don't need to, but it was N-word this, N-word that, N-word, 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 and, and just reveling in it. I mean, making a point of reveling in it. Um, and... Harvard, looking at this stuff that came to light, said, you know, I think we're going to revoke your admission. We don't want you. You ain't, you ain't what we're looking for. And he has become like a cause celeb, not only for the right-wingers, but for a lot of other people who are like David Brooks and um, I think even Frank Bruni was like wishy-washy. These are the two that I've read and or heard about, well, you know, kids make mistakes. If we're going to hold all our kids up to this level of scrutiny, you know, kids do stupid things, they're still growing and maturing. He has said that uh, he is extremely apologetic, that he now uh, looks back at that and um, is appalled, and he has grown, and blah, blah, blah. What? Excuse me.
Um, I'm sort of amazed by this, the quickness with which the punditry and much of America is willing to forgive white kids. A 13-year-old black child is looked at as a f- with a squirt gun is dead because a cop sees a threatening black man. White kids at 16, at 25, 26 are always looked at as, well, you know, still growing, still maturing, still really just a kid learning. Give him a break. Um... I don't know about you, but when I was 16 years old, I knew the difference between right and wrong. I did not use that word. I never used that word, ever, in my life. I didn't hear it in my family. I, I, I am stunned, actually, what I've learned in my adult life of how it was just normal conversation in so many, in probably most white families. It was not in mine. Never heard it. But, you know, the people who apply to Harvard are, I mean, obviously have really good grades, They've, you know, clicked off all the things showing I am an exemplary person. I am this, that, and the other thing. There's gazillions of them, and they can't all get in. So I think Harvard and other universities take a good look at what they consider the person, what they see of as the person, in as much as they're capable of knowing who that is. And I think they should look at social media. I do. I don't know why. This kid is, I mean, I'm sorry. I think there's probably some black kid somewhere who just missed getting in, who is of higher moral character than this kid creep who will be just fine he's loved by you know the whole right wingosphere he'll be showing up on fox the rest of his life if he wants to now he's a martyr to political correctness or something and i'm i'm just i am done with how slow some white folks are to coming to terms with their privilege, with their hate, their inbred bigotry and suspicion. I'm so sick of it. So, I just want to say, There's lots of great kids out there. He's not one of them.
And he can prove me wrong by leading a life of an exemplary life of uh, doing the right thing. I won't hold against him his affection and misreading of the Second Amendment. That is a political perspective. But the racism? Nah. I'm done. I'm done. It is disqualifying. And little apologies don't erase what's in your head and your heart. There is also, God, this brouhaha going on, uh, the right-wingers again, trying to use the Holocaust as a way to drive a wedge between Democrats and Jews. And this is one of their new, this is one of their new game plans. And the new thing is that um, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the freshman congressperson from Queens, has said that the United States is currently putting up concentration camps and putting people in them. Well, all hell broke loose, of course, on the Internet, from the likes of uh, Liz Cheney, also now a member of Congress, by the way, a rising Republican, uh, and she suggested that it was an outrage to the uh, the Jews who perished in the Holocaust to call what where we're sticking all of these uh, brown people um, concentration camps. But that is what they are. Concentration camp, this, think of what concentration means. It is, the, it is the rounding up of and enclosing inside barbed wire fences a certain group of people who have been deemed by the government to be either dangerous to the country or somehow loathsome in some way a threat a threat that's how the Jews were targeted when they were first rounded up and stuck in concentration camps There were concentration camps and there were extermination camps. We haven't come to that yet. But our concentration camps are seeing alarming numbers of people dying in them, especially children, under our care. 
What do you want to call them? Concentration camp is what they are. Let me let me share with you something from the believe the Holocaust Center. They say this. When we look at Auschwitz, we see the end of the process. It is important to remember that the Holocaust actually did not start with gas chambers. This hatred gradually developed from words, from stereotypes, and prejudice through legal exclusion, dehumanization, and escalating violence. We are at the beginnings of what, if we do not rise up against it, could end in something horrific. We've seen it. This country's not against concentration camps. We've done them before. We did them to Japanese Americans, American citizens, families, taxpayers, guilty of nothing. We rounded them up, took away their freedom, put them behind barbed wire. Frankly, treated them better than we're treating the current residents of our concentration camps. Republicans, like Liz Cheney, trying to, trying to make some political hay out of this, trying to make Jews believe that somehow AOC, using that terminology, is somehow denigrating the violence of the German Holocaust. But, as someone tweeted, and I will repeat, you need a word for the extraordinary chutzpah, a Jewish word, Yiddish word. We need a word that tops chutzpah for people like Liz Cheney and others on the right who support this nationalist, fascist president bent on ethnic cleansing, giving the rest of us sanctimonious lectures about what constitutes hate, anti-Semitism, the proper 
the proper nomenclature for? Prisons in which we have children separated from their parents dying in our care. Police. Uh, Milton writes, this is the response I got from a comment I made yesterday about the difference between a concentration camp and a death camp. My statement was that all death camps are concentration camps, yes, but not all concentration camps are death camps. That is historically correct. That's correct. In fact, I, I mean, I have the, the, the historian who's written like the book about concentration camps would agree with what Milton has just said there. All death camps, all extermination camps are concentration camps. All concentration camps are not death camps. But here is the response that he got. Hate to tell you, but Obama and Clinton started this, not our current president, and they aren't in cages. It was proven to be a fake picture and report. But people like yourself don't want the truth. Also, the comment about concentration camps is an insult to every Jew. It's not even close to the same thing. I just again repeat, Auschwitz was the end game. The concentration camps that Jews and others were rounded up initially and put in were not the end game. They were one of the steps on the way to the unthinkable. And they all represent how demonization of a people always grounded in bigotry, fear, and nationalism. A sense of keeping your your country pure from these vermin. Jews who don't see this are stupid or they're just needing to be on a certain side of this argument. I do want to say that this response is correct in that under Obama and Clinton we did have detention facilities where people were put. We did. 
but they were not held like they're being held now and not in the numbers. We did have detention camps for people who had entered the country illegally. The reality is, is that we have not, Democrats or Republicans, our side or their side, come to terms with what to do about this influx of desperate people. We sure as hell ain't living up to our our billing as this open-armed city on a hill. That we're not. People come because they bought our story that we've peddled for hundreds of years. Give, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. We weren't asking for your best and brightest. We were asking for the wretched refuse, the tempest-tossed. Give those, let us ingather them. And we were self-righteous about it. Aren't we amazing? People all over the world believed it. Because in certain points in our history it was true. It was true for my grandfather It was true, I'm sure, for some of your antecedents. They might have had a little bit of a bumpy road because there's always that, you know, initial reaction to people who don't sound like us, don't look like us, don't worship like us. What the hell are these people? But they did let us in. And they didn't round us up. I go back to Hong Kong and the example set by the people there. A quarter of that huge, huge city was in the streets. And lo and behold, the big bad government backed off. People have power. We are at a point in our country where it is being soiled, harmed, and we sit. Little Tony writes, I read some of the things that kid wrote on social media when he was 16. It was vile. He hated blacks and he hated Jews. I doubt he's sorry. He's so- you, yeah. I mean, 
You don't say things. You're 16. I'm sorry. I. And you're smart. Uh-uh. Give that spot to a good person, not a hater. Tony says, I do believe it's possible for people to repent of stupid behavior when they were teenagers, but I got my doubts about this little Fox News darling. I do too. I mean, part of being a teenager is being an idiot. It's true. But at the core, if your actions show that you are hateful and hurtful and revel in it, that shows something about your character. I mean, the stupid stuff I did as a teenager was just <laughs> reckless kind of behavior, you know not caring for myself enough. But being filled with hate like that, you don't outgrow that in two years, especially when you're palsy-walsying around with a whole bunch of haters on Fox. Another, um, for those of you who don't immerse yourself in the horrors of Twitter, another um, thing that's going on, I don't know if it's getting any uh, attention in mainline news, um, says that uh, Joe Biden was at a fundraiser in in New York City, I guess, yesterday or the night before. And this is, you know, re he's been hitting the real rich people circuit. And some of what he said there has come out and has not gotten a great response. Because part of what he said was showing them why they should support him is how he got along with everybody and could work across the aisle. And so here is a quote from what he said to these big money donors. I was in a caucus with James Eastland. Now James Eastland, for those of you who aren't as old as I am, was as vile a southern racist as you could conjure. I mean, he's up there in the pantheon of ugly white supremacists who had great power, Senator James Eastland. I was in a caucus with James Eastland, says Biden. He never called me boy, but that's what he called every black man, including old black men old enough to be his father. He called them boy, Joe. What a strange thing for Biden to say. How tone deaf. 
He never called me boy. He always called me son. At least there was civility, says Joe Biden. We got things done. Now, this is just troublesome in that Joe Biden is, he doesn't quite get it. He doesn't quite get that we've moved a little bit. And that you don't speak as a, as a positive of like, ah, James Eastland called me son. Do you remember? And it was quite some time ago. And I think he was the Senate Majority Leader at the time, Senator Trent Lott. A Republican? Didn't he end up having to like resign because he said something positive about Strom Thurmond, and not James Eastland, Southern racist bigot? Didn't he end up having to not only apologize but like ended up losing position? He was a Republican. We need black people to turn out in big numbers to make sure we win this election and take the Senate back. And if I were a black person and Biden was our nominee, I might have a little bit of cold feet. Maybe not. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I'm just saying he's tone deaf. He still goes up to girls, little girls all the time, and, and you can hear him and say, hi, honey, you're so beautiful. I mean, come on, can't he understand? You know, Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar, they don't go up to little girls and say, oh, aren't you beautiful? They say to little girls, look, you can run for president of the United States. I mean, he's just so friggin' old school. I like the guy, Biden. He's, yeah, Uncle Joe. I don't think there's a meanness in him. I'd vote for him if he's who I got to vote for. But I don't think he's the right guy for this time. Okay, I've sent something here by Barbara. I'll read it for the first time as I read it to you. Reacting to Harvard's decision to pull Parkland shooting survivor and right-wing pundit Kyle Cashew's admission uh, over past racial slurs, former Republican Representative David Jolly asserted Tuesday that the racist messages Cashew sent to classmates were the hallmarks of a mass shooter. What? What? I didn't think it was heading there. Former Republican congressman said, see, I haven't seen exactly what he said. During an MSNBC panel discussion on Kashuv, host Stephanie Rule asked Jolly, currently an MSNBC, oh, so he must, if he's an MSNBC analyst, see, I don't watch MSNBC, 
if he's an MSNBC analyst, then he must be uh, um, a reformed <laughs> Republican. Anyway, he was asked if he thought the Ivy League University was, was political. I don't, he said. I think this is the perfect story for our time. Within our culture, leaders are given greater permission to racist statements and people with racist feelings. They are given greater equity. It is important for Harvard to say not in our community. Cashew, I mean, Jolly spotlighted one post in which the teenager seemingly referenced shooting up his high school. to speculate that Kashuv could have been a potential shooter himself. And he referred to one of the shoot 'em up video games and said they should put a map of that on his, in his, high, on his high school. And that was two years before the shooting there. And my immediate reaction when I really dug into this, these are the social media postings we see of a shooter. And then we ask after the shooting, why didn't we see this? Ah, Milton, you're the greatest. Milton has found Trent Lott's comment. This was in 2002. This is a this is a conservative Republican leader. I want to say this about my state. When Strom Thurmond ran for president, we voted for him. We're proud of it. And if the rest of the country had followed our lead, we wouldn't have had all these problems over all these years. That wouldn't even get noticed now. Thurman ran as a Dixiecrat, pulled away from the Democratic Party when it started cozying up to black folks. Yeah. You think someone saying that today in the Republican Party would have had to back it, back off, lose a Speakership or whatever it is he lost, something big happened. Huh? No, because we're in uncharted waters here. Hmm. Okay. Well, I am going to... Um, change subjects. Okay. And this one is um, a, a little more, I'm just double checking to see if I've got every, yeah. Um, you, some of you might have seen this. I've been carrying it around. I think I actually saw this while I was on my vacation. But boy, did it resonate with me. And I could see from letters to the editor um, that it resonated with a, a lot of people. It was written by a woman who has the same re had always had the same reaction that I have had 
with um, lunching with other women. Excuse me a sec. I have mentioned this on the show before. How I steal myself when I sit down with lady friends at a restaurant. And it starts up. Oh. Oh, I shouldn't, but... Oh, gosh, I don't know. I really want that. Oh, God, I like... But it's so many. Oh, I can't. Oh, and there is this, like... How about if I get it, it... Will you split it with me? I cannot tell you how many times I'm going out to lunch or dinner with other women and they say, can you split it with me? And I say, no. I want the whole thing. It's a dinner. I want it. I don't want half of it. I want the whole thing. I used to make fun of my now gone friend, Jan Nefke. When we... When we went to our favorite restaurant, she would order. We both ordered the same. It was a chicken salad. It was a. And she would order it and say, start telling the guy, I want the chicken salad, but know this, know that, know that, 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 that. And by the time she was done, there was nothing left of the salad. I mean, I. And when she would start ordering, I would just. I mean, sometimes I would just say, just bring her a plate, okay? Just bring her a plate. She doesn't, I mean, it was just unbelievable. And it was all because women have been brainwashed into hating our bodies. I mean, just hating our bodies. Eve, I don't know many women who are comfortable in their own skin. I really don't know. Even the ones who manage to look like they're supposedly supposed to look, you know, not an ounce of fat, nothing protruding anywhere, just like, you know, they don't like their bodies. There's always something wrong with them. It is such a toxic relationship uh and it starts with young girls we do it to young girls young girls are dieting so women are taught to fear food to look at it as the enemy to hate food when food, I hate to tell you this, is one of the greatest pleasures of being alive. Food. It is meant to be savored, appreciated. It is not an enemy. And to go out with a bunch of people who start this routine every time. It's almost like you have to do it. To keep your standing as a, a woman in good standing. In other words, a woman who 
refuses herself pleasure so that she can continue to berate herself and not enjoy what is meant to be enjoyed. The woman who wrote it ended up going to a dietitian, almost dietitian shrink person. And that dietitian said to her something so astonishing. She said, when she told her, I just have, I just, I just love to eat. As if it was, as if she said, you know, I love clubbing baby seals. I love to eat. And the dietitian said to her, what a gift. What a gift to love food. It's one of the greatest pleasures of life. Can you think of your appetite as a gift? Instead, you have women... They starve themselves for two or three days and then they can eat what they want. I was very bad yesterday, but I, so I've got to, no, I've got to have like this raw salad with no dressing on it or something. And I have to tell you, and then they think they're balanced. They think they're balancing. That's not balance. That's insanity. It's self-loathing. It's letting an entire cynical industry own your head. Can you imagine? Think of all the people who make money. Think of how much of the U.S. economy is centered on Keeping women loathing their bodies. Men don't do this. Think of it. Think of all the yeah, the plastic surgeries, the 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 the, the, the gyms, the torture chambers, the the, the the all now called you know like wellness. It's not wellness, it's just the diet industry uh, doing a little rebranding. Same shit. This woman says, when you have to deprive, punish, and isolate yourself to look good, it is impossible to feel good. I was my sickest and loneliness when I appeared to be my healthiest. In other words, when she was had the slim body she was supposed to have, she wasn't happy. She was starving in more ways than one. If these wellness influencers, she says, really cared about health, 
They would tell you that your yo-yo dieting may increase your risk for heart disease. They, believe me, they would not be peddling the overpriced crapola and snake oil that they do, not to mention the whole lifestyle crap they promote. The wellness industry and the diet industry, she says, and the diet industry is a function of the patriarchal beauty standard under which women either punish themselves to become smaller or are punished for failing to comply. And the stress of this hurts our health, our physical health, our mental health. Wellness is largely white, a largely white, privileged enterprise catering to largely white, privileged, already thin, able-bodied women promoting exercise only they have the time to do and Tuscan kale only they have the resources to buy. There it is. And finally, wellness also contributes to the insulting cultural subtext that women cannot be trusted to make decisions when it comes to our own bodies, even when it comes to nourishing them or pleasuring them. You can't, on one hand, push to eradicate the harassment, abuse, and oppression of women while continuing to serve a system that demands that women hurt themselves to be more attractive and less threatening to men. In 2019, she writes, I want to propose a new kind of test. Women, can two or more of us get together without mentioning our bodies and diets? It would be a small act of resistance and of kindness. If you're a woman and you find yourself eaten with me, please, I beg you, don't. I can't stand it. Do we have a call? No. Hung up. <sighs> okay, back to your... Uh, Kurt writes, Lynn... What I wonder about the Harvard rejection and similar stories is how does a kid know that the reason he got, how does he know that's the reason he got rejected? Well, he does know because they had accepted him. And then they had to write him a letter <laughs> telling him he'd been unaccepted and why. I mean, there was a back and forth. He then asked, can I possibly make uh can you hear me out can i this that and they said no you're, you're just gone we don't want you okay 
As for Chicago housing prices, I think you and Susan weren't on the same page. She said something to suggest she was talking about desirable neighborhoods, convenient to town where the action that appeals to youthful folks is located, not city average. But I thought she said the median price of a, well, and I don't think the Mexican Holocaust comparison is designed to turn Jews against Democrats, if I may use a positive stereotype that Jews are too smart for that. Don't listen. That is a stereotype that is also incorrect. I could sit here and for the rest of, oh, show is over. I could sit here and name you a whole bunch of stupid Jews. Believe me, there's plenty of stupid Jews. I think the argument, he says, is designed to trivialize the horrible wrong of child prisons by making the comparison sound absurd. Well, I, okay, I, that too, but I also think it is to peel off Jews. They see they, see they can do that, you know, with the, the Muslim ladies now in the, you know, making uncomfortable kinds of remarks, to say the least. Um, there's these little openings they see to start peeling some Jews off, and I think they're successful. I listened to Monday's show this morning as Marv is going to I keep hearing him laugh out loud at your delivery of the list of federal crimes. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, thank you, Kurt. Um, that's it for me. I even went a little bit over. Okay, uh, see tomorrow. And love your body! imperfections and all. I know it's not easy. I'm still working on it. But damn, I love to eat. And don't muck up my pleasure. Thank you. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.